If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Stocks for beginners. When people tell me that they feel ashamed or embarrassed about their finances, I let them unload all the emotions around that. I encourage them to write down what their history with money is and what they learned or maybe did not learn about money from their parents or guardians or teachers and how that impacted their lives. So I think just gaining that awareness, just reflecting on that and being aware of that can be so powerful when it comes to actually rewriting those stories that we all end up in adulthood with. Hi, and welcome back to Stocks for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. Who's responsible for creating your life? What can freedom really look like? My guest today believes that everyone has the responsibility and the opportunity to design their own lives and that money is a tool to build our dreams. Hello, Brooke. Hi, Phil. So nice to be here. Nice to meet you as well. Brooke Tomasetti is a personal finance coach and educator at Money Life Mentor, and she's also Director of Financial Education and Community at Carbon Collective, the first climate-focused online investment advisor. So let's start by talking about your travels, because you're a, a nomad, aren't you? You have no fixed abode. That is correct, and probably one of my top five things to talk about outside of personal finance, <laughs> so I'm glad that you asked. I started working 100% remotely about seven years ago. So I've been doing the remote thing for a little while now. And I will say at first, I was hesitant to work outside of my personal office space, but I started little by little. So I, I started by working from a coffee shop one or two days a week. Then it progressed into exploring a new city in the US for a couple of weeks at a time while working. And then I did a three-month stint of working remotely from Central America with my coworker. And we would work during the week. And on the weekends, we'd explore, you know, hike volcanoes, go visit some Mayan ruins. And after that, I was hooked on the quote-unquote digital nomad life. And yeah, I've spent months at a time exploring new countries and cities while working full-time. And that's been working with Money Life Mentor. Is that the case? Yeah, so I started Money Life Mentor about a year and a half ago. I've been obviously a personal finance nerd since I was 16, <laughs> but my professional background and what I actually went to college for here in the States was in marketing. So you started out at 16 as a financial money nerd. Was that unusual amongst your group of friends? Absolutely. There was certainly nobody talking about finances you know, when I was, let's say, junior, senior in high school, and certainly not my teachers, right? There was no personal finance class or anything like that. Unfortunately, I, I think I would have loved that, but I did end up taking some business classes and it definitely got me thinking about my own personal finances and how to manage that. And after I got my first job working at the library at 15, it really started to jog a lot of questions and curiosity around 
what do people do with money and what's the best use case for it? And so this was obviously a natural evolution into starting a Money Life Mentor then. Yeah, absolutely. So after years of really teaching myself about investing, because even in college, at least where I went, we didn't have personal finance courses. We got economics and everything else, but no personal finance. So I just continued to read about investing, listen to podcasts like this, and just kind of through my own practices and things that I tested myself, just learned through trial and error. And that led to most of my friends and family coming to me when they had a personal finance question. And I found that I really enjoyed helping people understand and apply their income. I think there might be a problem with studying economics because while you do learn a little bit more about finance, it's seen to be as this great monolithic financial world that has very little to do with you on a personal level. Yeah, it's almost like you learn all of these macro factors and principles and things, but there's such a gap between understanding that and then applying that on the micro, micro level to your own finances. So you were able to pay $15,000 of student loan debt in 18 months while you were earning under $45,000 per year before taxes. How is that even possible? (laughs) What did you live on? What did you eat? (laughs) Yeah, I'll break it down into simple terms, but I'd like to point out that this was not easy. (laughs) I think those of us who choose to or, you know, have the privilege of even going to college, we graduate and we're on this sort of high of the world's my oyster. I can do whatever I set my mind to. And then boom, you graduate and you've got student loans and you're living either, you know, your parents' basement or with a couple roommates in maybe a not so great apartment and working at a job that, surprise, is nowhere near your dream job. So it's kind of this like slap of reality, right? And people react to that in a lot of different ways. Thankfully, I took all of this in that first year out of college. And don't get me wrong, I was happy and grateful to be able to support myself on my own. That was really my one goal after graduating. But I realized that if I can gain control over the income I do have coming in, then I can free myself from this debt that is holding me back, right? Because I had a few student loans that $15,000 and I had a monthly payment and it was really you know, impacting what I was able to do month over month, both from like a spending perspective, but, you know, also obviously investing and saving for my future, you know, short term and long term. And the first thing I did was I made a copy of a Google Sheet budget template online from somewhere. I don't even remember where I got it from. I probably just Googled like easy budget spreadsheet. And I input my average monthly expenses and my monthly income. And I listed out all of the information about the three different loans that I had. And from doing this, I found that I had some wiggle room in my budget to pay well over the minimums on my student loans. As long as I kept my spending in check and I made sure to add the additional payment to the loan that had the highest interest rate, anyone who's paid off debt can understand how high interest rates can really impact you. So knocking that one out was my biggest goal, getting that done first. And I tracked my expenses and budget every month, and I decreased my expenses as much as I could. Thankfully, I was already living in an apartment that was within my means, but in a decent part of the city with a roommate. And I was driving the same car I had in high school. So my base expenses were already low. And 
you know, if I had anything left over at the end of the month, I put that towards my loans. And, you know, it sounds simple, but it's certainly not an easy thing to do. For many people, their finances just, it feels out of control for people. How can people get their finances under control and uncomplicate them? Yeah, right. It does feel extremely complicated when you start to dig into it. And like I always say, personal finance is simple, but it's not easy, meaning the principles behind what to do with your money are simple. They're basic math, right? However, it's our emotions that often get in the way of us mastering our financial lives. So this is where simple systems that help remove the emotional and mental parts of working on your finances are key. And the first thing that I would do is create a calendar event for yourself that is 20 or 25 minutes long and recurs once a week. For me, I find that doing that on Sunday evenings works for me, but you know, to each their own. And in that calendar invite, I would update the description that you can type in, write in the financial goals that you're working towards and include any links you might want to reference, such as your budget spreadsheet. And you will use those 20 minutes every week to review your finances and take action towards those goals. You believe that it's important to also understand what's important to yourself. Why is that? And how does that um, play into budgeting? Yes, I love that you asked that question because I have my clients do self-awareness journal prompts And at first, people are like, what is the connection here (laughs) to this with my finances? Why do I have to do this? And to that, I say, it is almost impossible to put together goals and a game plan for your life without knowing what kind of life you desire. You can do it. You can set the goals and tackle a plan. But when you achieve those things that you think you want, and you are kind of the top of the mountain looking around, will that have led you to a fulfilling life defined by your own definition of success and happiness? It's really hard to say, right? But if you set aside time in your week to reflect on what's important to you, what experiences bring you joy, what kind of life do you want to live? And then you intentionally work to create more of that in your life, starting on the day-to-day, chances are you're going to end up leading a happy and fulfilling life. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. You've got a lot of experience talking with people about finances and pulling that all together. What are some of the common misconceptions and the the mindsets that you've seen people coming to you with that um, you can talk about? Yeah, absolutely. I can kind of start with some of the common questions that drive people to start to dig into these kinds of things. Yeah, that's a good place to start. Yeah. Yes. So I find that maybe the top three or four things that I hear 
Number one is I get a lot of, I've worked hard the last five to 10 years of my professional life. Why don't I have more to show for it? That's a really common one. I find that usually happens when people start to do things like, you know, look at their 401k and maybe they're comparing with their peers and things like that. And they're like, hmm, I have not been putting a lot of money aside, but, you know, I earn six figures a year. Like, where is the disconnect here? I also get, how should I prioritize my different saving and investing goals? It's a really common one because a lot of people, right, they have these goals of purchasing a house maybe in the next three years. And then short term, they want to take a trip in the next 12 months. And then they've got this goal of retirement, which feels very pie in the sky decades away. So kind of prioritizing those different things. And then a really big one that I hear is, I am so overwhelmed by the amount of information out there and I don't know where to turn. So that usually leads to how can I educate myself on investing and building wealth for financial freedom? I think we're going in a pivot point at the moment, aren't we? Whereas maybe 10, 20 years ago, financial advice was seen to be something where you go and see a professional and you go and see an older man in a suit and tie who's going to tell you exactly what you should be doing. But we're turning around now where the world is becoming interested in it and more people like yourself are providing a service to people and letting them know how it actually can be quite simple and uncomplicated. Yeah, that's such a great point. And it's really nice to see more diversity in the financial education and investing space because, you know, when you see someone who looks more like yourself, who maybe you can relate to on a more personal level versus, you know, some 65-year-old white-haired man who's telling you how to invest your money, it's just different. It's going to resonate much differently, right? So, you know, my friend who is also my client, she told me one time, I don't want my financial advice from some 65-year-old white-haired man. Like, I want my advice from you. So it's very interesting. I think it's a good thing. Of course, there's such thing as bad financial advice that you might <laughs> pick up on TikTok or Instagram. Watch out for the rocket emojis, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, to the moon. So, you know, definitely taking everything that you see on social with a grain of salt. But I do think it's nice to see a lot of people getting interested in investing through just all these different channels. Some people do have a mindset that's going to hold them back. It's not just about um, being overwhelmed or being too complicated, but there is actually a mindset. I know of people who might have an idea that they don't deserve the wealth or that somehow people are only wealthy because they've inherited the money or have gotten lucky. Do you ever have to psychoanalyze people to a certain extent? Absolutely. And really, as an educator and a mentor, right, versus somebody who is an investment advisor who's saying, put your money here. I find I, I'm i able to connect on a more deeper level. So I, I do get into a lot of the mindset things and something that I find helpful because we all have that, right? We all have some sort of mindset that can hold us back. And I absolutely empathize with a lot of the emotions and mindsets that people have around money. Something that we can ignore is that a lot of people feel shame around their money. That's kind of what you were getting at, whether it's they have a lack of it and they're realizing that, or maybe they've made some bad decisions in the past that led to debt, or maybe they were born into money and they have some some shame around that, right? That's absolutely valid as well. And 
a lot of people also feel ashamed that they don't understand investing in personal finance. This emotion is something that I want to relieve everyone of because regardless of how you got into debt or how you ended up at age 39 with no life savings, shame is an unproductive mindset, right? When people tell me that they feel ashamed or embarrassed about their finances, I let them unload all the emotions around that. I encourage them to write down what their history with money is and what they learned or maybe did not learn about money from their parents or guardians or teachers and how that impacted their lives, right? Because some people see their parents going one way and they go the opposite way or they follow in their footsteps. It's very interesting. So I think just gaining that awareness, I like to write these things down, but just reflecting on that and being aware of that can be so powerful when it comes to actually rewriting those stories that we all end up in adulthood with, right? And I also recommend putting all your numbers into a spreadsheet because when you can see all of the numbers, the expenses, the income, the debt, seeing it all laid out often gives someone a sense of control and power over their situation. Are you ever telling people the truth about what it means about taking control of their lives and their financial lives, that there's no one else that's going to do it for them? Yeah, it's a really good question. I find that as we kind of go down the path of doing the journal prompts to figure out what their vision is for their life, like I do this thing called ideal life journaling, and I have them write about their ideal day, like from when you get up to when you go to bed. What is the ideal day for you? What's your living situation like? Who are you spending the most time with? Things like that to help them get clear on that, right? And then we take that, we translate that into some financial goals, short-term goals, long-term goals, and then we dive into the numbers. And usually by the time that we're looking at the numbers and I'm giving them action items like at least every month for them to complete before we meet next, and especially when you're meeting with someone month over month for that accountability piece, which I think is missing in a lot of really when you try to accomplish anything in life, having the accountability can be so useful. But I do find that at least at that point, people come to that conclusion on their own. They understand, okay, this is what I want. Here's where I am, right? They kind of gain that recognition of there's a gap between what my life looks like now, which is based on all the decisions that I've made the last, you know, 20, 30 years of my life. And then here's where I want to be. Here is like my dream vision. And it kind of clicks for people when they have that vision. They're like, nobody's going to create this for me. I need to design that. So it's much less explicit. People often come to that conclusion when they start to dig into these things. And of course, a big part of uh, building wealth is investment. And you're interested in building wealth, but also making a better world. Tell us about Carbon Collective and what led you towards Carbon Collective. Yes. So about five years ago, I went through the process of analyzing the products I was using on a daily basis, and I started to switch them out for healthier and more sustainable alternatives. It became sort of a fun obsession for me. And at that time, I was also deepening my learning around investing. And I got curious and started to research what options were out there for someone who was environmentally conscious. And most of the answers I found at the time were typically along the lines of 
well, it's difficult and the fees are way higher, but you know, you could invest in one of these ESG funds, which, oh, by the way, most of them invest in fossil fuel companies anyways. <laughs> and so you might as well invest in low cost index funds as you normally would as a long-term investor. And then maybe one day donate to environmental causes. And that's a t really terrible answer, right? Not ideal. So fast forward about five years. And when I stumbled upon Carbon Collective, somebody who was a past client of mine when I worked at a marketing agency, started working at Carbon Collective and reached back out to me. We had kept in touch. And I started to learn about their portfolios that are low fee, 100% divested from fossil fuels and invested in companies building climate solutions. And I was really excited because all of us, we spend 40 plus hours a week working so that we can invest our money to one day comfortably retire and build generational wealth. But most of our retirement funds are not actually funding the kind of world that we actually want to retire into and leave to our grandchildren. Tell us about the research and uh, the process of Carbon Collective for ascertaining which are the best um, investments to go into for that future that you that's so important for you. Yeah, absolutely. This question really relates to Carbon Collective's theory of change. And to kind of simplify it, the goal with Carbon Collective's portfolios and investment products is to, number one, divest from fossil fuel companies. Number two, invest in companies that are building climate solutions and to use our voice and our shareholder votes to move faster on climate and hold companies accountable for that. So that's like the short summary. And up until probably eight months ago, I didn't really understand what divest from fossil fuels meant, right? Obviously, we think, okay, it's the opposite of invest, right? But to kind of simplify it, it means that you remove your investments out of the fossil fuel industry. And the idea there is that when there is less money invested in fossil fuel companies, the shares of these companies decrease, making it more expensive for them to raise capital and expand operations. So that's really the whole goal around divestment. And then we also need to invest in the companies that are building climate change solutions. So from solar to electric vehicles to building efficiency companies so that those companies can grow fast. So Carbon Collective is a robo-advisor. I just wanted to break it down into a couple of sections here. So there's um, what is a robo-advising firm and um, how does it work? And how are they making the investments? Or how is Carbon Collective making the investments? Is it via ETFs or directly into companies themselves? So yeah, tell us a bit more about the mechanics of it all. Yeah, absolutely. I'll start with defining what a robo-advisor is, because I feel like it's a term that's become more and more popular, right, with the Wealthfront and Betterment and all kinds of companies now. But a robo-advisor is an online investment platform that helps you set up investment goals like retirement and then automatically manages your investment portfolios to help you meet those goals. And so that's uh, especially to avoid that 65-year-old guy with the, the white hair. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's a really great point. So because a robo-advisor relies on software rather than people, say somebody who's actively choosing which stocks you're investing in, robo-advisors are also generally much more cost-effective. So they cost a lot less than traditional advisors. 
So for example, a traditional human advisor might charge 1% of total assets that you have invested versus a robo-advisor like Carbon Collective, for example, who charges a management fee of 0.25%. And I'm sure you know this, Phil, but like extremely important for any investor because that percentage over the course of one's lifetime can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yep. Costs compound as do gains. Yes. <laughs> it's just the term itself. I think it's a real problem that um, robo-advisor, if you have no idea about how they work, it sort of sounds like there's some algorithm that's <laughs> magically moving your money around for me. It's a little bit of an unfriendly term, but it's it's not that at all, is it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's nice when you understand what goes into the decisions behind the robo-advisor. <laughs> yep, that's right. It's all about the decisions. Okay, so and Carbon Collective then deploys the money that you're investing. How has it done that? Is it, like I said, through ETFs or directly into companies? Yes. So right now we have our own portfolios and they're technically actively managed, right? In that our team is putting hours and hours into researching based on our theory of change, which we just covered. If you go on the website, you can see kind of exactly the filters that are used. So how we are including or excluding various companies from the portfolios. And then we have a few different portfolios that anyone, any individual can go on and select which one they want to invest in. It's as simple as that. So they're not ETFs, they're portfolios. Okay. Can you describe the portfolios? What are the different kinds of portfolio constructions? Yeah, absolutely. So this would probably be a better question for our portfolio manager, chief of investments. <laughs> yeah. No, that's okay. Just give us an overview. <laughs> yeah, sure. So we have kind of the core portfolio, which is kind of a, it's a mix. So there's some bonds in there, some stocks, and it goes a little bit outside of the climate only portfolio, which is really just the companies that are in our like list of climate solution companies, which is right on the website. And you can actually see like how we weight the different companies. So you can see like what percentage Tesla, for example, makes up of that portfolio. So it's kind of like giving investors who have a higher tolerance for risk a way to invest in just the climate tech slash climate solution companies. So a new user coming to Carbon Collective What's the process like? What do they first see on the website and when you want to get started? Yeah. So on the homepage, if you were to go to carboncollective.co right now, there is a form. All you need to do is it walks you through. You should be able to complete it in like 20 minutes if you wanted to set up an account. There's a lot of different options, right? So I think where people get stuck is understanding what kind of investment account they should open, right? Whether it's an IRA or a non-retirement account, or maybe they have an old 401k that they want to roll over. But if they have questions, they can easily set up a 15-minute call with our co-founder who can help them select which account they need. It's a fairly simple process. And it's nice because there is a human touch. So if you do get stuck, because investing can be complicated and climate change is complicated. So we like to just be there for our members. Robo advice with a human face. Yes. I love that. <laughs> I'll give that one to you for free. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Phil. <laughs> so if people want to go in depth into sustainable investing, do you have any resources available? Yes, absolutely. 
On the carboncollective.co site, we have the ultimate guide to sustainable investing. And it is a huge resource. (laughs) It's a book length guide. You can just click through the different six chapters and read. And it covers really everything from why investing is a solution to climate change all the way to ranking the different ESG funds that are most popular and like what percentage they're invested in fossil fuels versus climate solution companies, all of the stats, all the way to investing basics. Okay, so, um, well, you've given us the web address. Is that the best way for listeners to get in touch with Carbon Collective and find out more? Yeah, absolutely. I would say Instagram, really any social channel. Instagram's a great place to connect. I spend a lot of time on there. So carbon.collective is our handle. Or if they want to reach out to me personally, that works too. I'm at Money Life Mentor. Fantastic. Brooke Tomasetti, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. Stocks for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Stocks for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.